Good evening, folks. Welcome back from a long and extended hiatus from the podcast to be named later. This is Jason Collette joining me tonight. Bradley Woodrum, Kevin Gengler. Uh, gentlemen, good evening. Howdy. Hello, Jason. Hello, Rays fans. Yeah, it's great to be talking to each other again instead of typing, uh, DMing, uh, tweeting, IMing, and all those things we usually do during the week uh, for all this. But this is definitely, uh, I don't think any of us expected to be previewing game one of the ALDS uh, tonight, but here we are because it's just that, you know, the improbable season. Uh, what, is, what, is, what does Stu call it? The wonderfully improbable season is what he called it. Uh, you know, continues. Yeah, so it was. Not impossible, but improbable. Yeah, something like that. And, you know, and then last night, you know, if you look at uh, Tommy Rancel's uh, article on ESPN 1040, he's got a wonderful quote at the end of it from uh, Andrew Friedman. Well, it's, it, it, two quotes. He says, you know, our playbook doesn't have easy in it. We don't know how to do easy. And I just had to <laughs> laugh when I read that because it's, it's, you know, it's pretty true. When you look back at, you know, uh, July 27th when the Rays were 11 and a half games behind the Red Sox. Uh, and then they finished the season 38 and 21, play 646 baseball uh, to get to this point. And then, uh, you know, enter September, despite still playing that well, and they had a 1% chance when the month started. Uh, it got to about 2% at a few times, even as late as what last week, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a 2% chance, and then it would double and triple and quadruple as the Red Sox could never put together two consecutive victories uh, for the for the final five weeks of the season. So it's just, you know, a wonderfully improbable season. But here we are doing the uh, podcast to be named later again, something we plan to do before uh, each game to, you know, preview that game and review the previous game uh, to get people something to, to, you know, listen to and whatnot before we get into each game and then throughout the offseason uh, to discuss what happened. Hopefully that offseason is a few weeks off and not, uh, you know, five games off as it was last year when these two teams squared up. But we'll see what happens. It's really been, I mean, it has been such a crazy wild ride. This last month was something I don't think anybody, <laughs> I know we certainly, the writers at D-Rays Bay, were not expecting this. We we were starting to mentally prepare ourselves to, you know, enjoy watching some of the young guys and just, you know, it's, it was a reloading year. We knew it wasn't going to be the greatest, but it was fun anyway. And mm -hmm. and then this, my goodness, I, you, you can't you can't script it any better. Well, I mean, I, I, I got an article. I'm trying to get the piece done tonight. Uh, I basically come out and apologize because, I mean, you guys uh, remember uh, and because, you know, Topper called me out on it. Uh, Hanselman called me out on it. About the end of July, we were you know, one of these games where the Rays you know, lost 10 to 4. You know, no trades were happening. They delayed call ups. And I was like, you know, people need to start watching this team as a competitive team, but not as a playoff team because they're mm -hmm. not acting like a playoff team. They're playing bad baseball over the last four weeks, not making any kind of roster moves and not addressing any problems. And this is the time I think Sam Fold was still out there starting at this point. So uh, it is one of these things where I just made the thing, you know, start watching as a competitive team. Then we get to September and they still have the 1% chance. And I'm, I'm making the jokes, you know, saying it's a Lloyd Christmas playoff run because <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance. Yeah. And then, you know, there's a 2% chance with seven games left of the season. And then here we are. So it's like I, I never left the team. Uh, but at the same point, I really didn't think uh, anything about playoffs Honestly, until about a week ago, then I was like, "Oh my God, mm -hmm. this might actually happen." Yeah, yeah. and great. 
Kevin? Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's just great how so many little things had to fall into place. Like, you had the Alex Torres going five innings in relief of Jeff Neiman because he just didn't have it that day. I mean, you had Robert Andino out of nowhere being a Red Sox killer. Just like yeah. everything fell into place, it seemed, for the race. Dude, I want Robert Andino on this 25-man roster next year. I mean, he screwed the playoffs here. I want him I want him around as a utility infielder because that guy was unbelievable. He was like, uh, if you think back, uh, you know, obviously I'm the oldest of the three here on the phone tonight, but if you think back to the 91 World Series when Mark Lemke was getting a hit every time around, and this was a guy that did next to nothing in the regular season, and he's hitting 400 <laughs> over the, you know, through the playoffs into the World Series, uh, and the Twins couldn't get him out. The, the I believe it was the Cardinals as they played in the playoff series, but it was one of those crazy things, and that's what that guy did. Um, and, you know, Alex Torres, I think, is a great story because I mean, this is a guy that threw, what, 50 pitches and one inning of relief against the Yankees uh, when the Rays were trying to win those games in July. And then he comes out, I think he threw 58, 61 pitches across five innings mm. of relief of Jeff Neiman. And he just, tremendous. just, yeah, he just carved right through the Blue Jays lineup, which was nearly full strength. I mean, obviously, Adam Lynn never played in that series, which was a nice break uh, because uh, his wife, like Ben Zobrist, was, uh, was having a child. So he was out for the whole weekend. Um, but, you know, Jose Batista was in that lineup, and he went through him, and, and Edwin Encarnacion has had a great second half. So it's been a lot, you know, a lot of people are trying to point fingers. My brother, as you guys know, is a big Red Sox fan, uh, dating way back to the Roger Clemens days. Uh, so uh, he, he sent me a text, was complaining, you know, Joe Girardi, he quote my brother, he goes, I thought he was going to send the hot dog vendor out there at one point to pitch tonight. So, you know, he was really upset <laughs> that, that, that the Yankees did not put Mariano Rivera out there in the ninth inning, didn't bring in. Uh, you know David Robertson to stop the fire in the eighth inning, and I'm like, you know, do the victor go to the spoils, and these guys can do what they need to do, and that's what happens. So, you know, mm-hmm. again, in the end, when you can't put together consecutive victories over the final five weeks of the season, you only have yourself to blame. Exactly, and and I mean, as much as it was amazing to see the Rays come back, this does not happen if the Red, if the Red Sox play anywhere close to their normal. Uh, realm of baseball they they were horrible this last month and there's no denying that and uh, Nate Silverman was actually making a point on his New York blog he's been he's been writing about baseball a little bit again and he was talking about how we tend to brush away thoughts of clutch when it comes to batters but when we come when it comes to pitchers there's not really a, a whole conclusive set of evidence to suggest that uh, pressure does not get to pitchers I think that there is something to that that uh the Red Sox rotation did feel the Rays sneaking up a little bit, and the fact that guys like John Lackey and Tim Wakefield were already struggling didn't help the fact that other guys like Lester just couldn't get it together. So, I don't know. It, it was an incredible, incredible month, and you know we had to thank the the Red Sox just as much as we had to thank the Yankees because that was not just the Rays who did that, but the Rays did everything they could, and it was incredible. And the Orioles, for that matter, too. I mean, the Orioles, if you look at the Orioles, they I think they went 15-7 and seven in their final 22 games. And they won series against, the in September, they won series against the Rays, the Red Sox twice, the yeah. Tigers, the Yankees, and the Angels. So they were, <laughs> they were as much a part of this whole playoff picture as any other team mm-hmm. in the American League East. And this is the second year in a row. I've made the joke that, you know, next year's Baltimore team schedule just needs to say September for six months. And uh, that, that would help their case because they play some amazing ball in September, but the other months of the mm-hmm. year they just stink. And the way they it celebrated was last night, you could just tell that like 
I mean, they just wanted games that mattered, and they were so happy to like mm-hmm. have an effect on that. And they were, <laughs> I mean, that was the, like their World Series right there, is beating Boston last mm-hmm. night. And, and you know that was their World Series. You, you could you saw their reaction afterwards. I mean, when they when the winning run scored, they were dogpiling like they were just gone to the playoffs. And I made the, I was making a comment on Twitter last night that the Rays have now won the ALES because it's felt like a playoff race, like a playoff series mm-hmm. for the last week. I mean, this whole Yankee thing felt like a playoff race. The the one before against the Blue Jays, watching every one of those games against the Red Sox, it's, it's felt like they've been in. It's almost like March Madness, where you got to win seven games to get to the title this feels like you have to win seven series uh to win the world series but it's i have i don't remember just watching a baseball game and relaxing uh in a long time Mm -hmm. it's really been i mean this this whole week has just been an incredibly tense emotional experience and the fact that last night andino uh, a career like 289 weighted on base average hitter comes up in singles off of Jonathan Papelbon in the middle of Papelbon's perhaps greatest season of his career. I mean, it was just unbelievable. It, it really felt like at that point things were just faded because the the Rays had come back from a seven-run deficit. I mean, it was just – it was unbelievable. You know, I mean, you guys know how I like to quote, you know, numbers and stats and you know, selective endpoints and whatnot uh, throughout mm-hmm. it. But there was a number last night that uh, one of the Boston writers tweeted – in the ninth inning, Boston went into that game seventy-seven and zero when going into the ninth yeah. inning with a lead. Seventy-seven mm-hmm. and zero, and they lost. So that's why you look at these these kind of things. You kind of laugh when people put these things out. You know, like the Rays have now won thirty straight games in which they've scored five runs. It's something to put some confidence into. You know, last night you're down seven nothing, and I think Joe Henderson from Tampa Bay on. Uh, Tribune said, "Hey, you know, if the Rays score five runs, they're going to win this game. After all, they've won their last twenty-nine. Sure as hell they did. <laughs> so it's, yeah. I mean, you like the you got to hang your hat on that, and it's going to be important mm-hmm. in the series against Texas, a team that could really put up some runs. But uh, it's really crazy. Um, but over the last twenty-four hours, there's been a lot of things, uh, you know, from the game to the post-game uh, to the writing to everything. Uh, Kevin, what's been one of your favorite parts of the last twenty-four hours? Well, it's just the amazing turnaround that the offense made. I mean, if anyone was following me on Twitter, I mean, I was just so <laughs> down on the team the first seven innings. It's like, really, you're not going to hit Andrew – or not Andrew. Dylan Batance is throwing, you know, 2-0 on every hitter. You're not going to hit Aaron Laffey. And it was just like, man, they're going to go out this way. They're not even going to score a run. And then that eighth inning comes, and it's just like, you know, they were hitting guys. They were walking guys. And then, obviously, Longoria with the big blow. And then it was, again, a letdown when they couldn't push the tying run across. And it was just like the wild swings of emotion, you know, not just in that game, but also, like you mentioned, following Boston and Baltimore was just, I mean, it was a lot to handle on one night. Yeah, uh, you know, one of the things, the bar that I was at, I was at a, a great burger uh, joint in, in Milwaukee, AJ Bombers, uh, and it's a restaurant, too, so they closed down a little early during the midweek. So we had to leave at the end of the 10th. They, they finally said, okay, man, we got to close up. So they at least let me see the tie game part of it. But I was like you. I mean, we were trading back and forth. I'm like, you know, get rid of Price after the second inning. Get him out. He's not getting the job done. Uh, you know, those kind of things. I'm wanting to pinch hit for people in the fourth inning. And then, and then they rally. So they tie the game in the ninth. And then Scott Proctor comes in, the guy we've all been begging for. Please give us Scott Proctor. And then he ends up pitching, what, two and a half scoreless innings for a little bit there? And, and he's striking out back-to-back guys. And I'm like, yeah. they're going to lose this game because they can't get anything off Scott effing Proctor. Yeah. <laughs> like, it would just uh, – I mean, if anything has happened this entire season, you know, the Rays have been uh, – they've had 
six complete game shutouts thrown against them. I swear I've been at four of them. <laughs> so <it's> like, <laughs> it would have, that would have been more maddening than any of that uh, to have Scott Proctor, after spending all week you know, bitching about the fact that they left him in their face Ellsbury or even pitched to Ellsbury and that the, you know, the Rays finally get to Scott Proctor and they're not going to get a runoff. Him. I was just – that was uh, part of that issue uh, with that. But uh, Bradley, what was one of your favorite parts about the last 24 hours? Well, I mean, what what amazed me about last night's game was that it was such a total team effort because Price got knocked out early, so we ended up having to throw a lot of bullpen arms out there. The bullpen had like five innings of no-hit baseball last night, and it, it was just it was unbelievable. After the Red Sox got or the Yankees got up 7-0. That bullpen really shut the game down. Uh, Cruz gave up that one homer to Shara, who was just on last night. And after that, they they were they were lights out. And that was something that was really impressive. They they didn't get runners or base runners again until extra innings, I believe. That was when Farnsworth was in there. And I mean, it was it was huge, huge night for like Brandon Gomes and Jake McGee. Those guys came out gangbusters, and they just absolutely flat out impressed. But beyond that, they also had guys like. Elliot Johnson, uh, pinch running and stealing a base. Sam Full taking a bases loaded walk. I mean, everybody was in it. Uh, John Jaso got a single. I mean, it was it was an, a game where you <laughs> you used the entire expanded roster basically to to push like emotionally push this team over the brink. And what about my man Dan Johnson? Holy cow, that guy it just it's beyond words what happened in the bottom of the ninth last night. You know, he's not only your, he's not only your man, he's Stu's man. I don't know if you saw that story today, but uh, Stu Sternberg apparently tw- uh, texted uh, Matt Silverman uh, before the ninth inning, and he just said, "Hey, Matt, it looks like it's going to come down to my man Dan here in the ninth <laughs> inning." And this was be- this was before this was before Matt had even sent him out there to be a pinch hitter. So either Stu's next text was to Joe in the dugout saying, "Put my man." In. <laughs> uh, but then, you know, Tommy's article also talked about uh, Joe had said if anybody had gotten on base. In front of Fold, Fold would have stayed in the hit. But when there was nobody on and two outs, he figured I'm just gonna go with I'm gonna go with Johnson. And uh, mm-hmm. he told uh, uh, Dan told Tommy that he just feels comfortable in those kind of situations. I mean, but if we look at Dan Johnson, and we were talking earlier with all this numerology. I mean, here's some numbers that kind of when you look at it, if Dan Johnson would have gone in there and struck out instead of hit the game tying home run, I think we'd be spending this call trying to figure out why in the hell Dan Johnson was pinch hitting. Because you look at it, he was 0 for his previous 21. Mm-hmm. He had not had a base hit in the major league since April 27th. Uh, he was 1 for 45 hitting with two strikes. 1 for 45. He had one home run in the season. It was the it was the home run that won game one of the season. that knocked. I was uh, there for that. Yeah, there you go. I think it was against uh, Matt Thornton. I think it was a lefty he hit it off of. But, yep. you know, so there it was his only home run of the season. So Dan Johnson has hit uh, two home runs, won the first game and won the last game of the race season. And that's it. That's all he did. So it's one of these things you look at when the numbers you put them in, you're like, oh, my God, why Dan Johnson? Why now? And then process based results. You're like, eh, look what happened. Uh, so <laughs> that to me, that was the magic moment for me, because, I mean, the guys had a, a horrible season. Obviously, he gets the first base job, can't hold it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got to send him down. Uh, the magic of Koch happens, and, and Dan Johnson can't even see the roster when Kochman has to go to the hospital. They still let yeah. Britain yet. I mean, they don't even let Dan Johnson get on the field for that game. And Tommy sent me a text. He goes, man, they hate Dan Johnson. They must hate Dan Johnson. <laughs> yeah. So it's like – and then he gets in the game and boom. And now, as, as Brian Anderson said to TV last night, 
uh, Dan Johnson could be a Ray for life. And somebody else sent me a text or a tweet and said, could Dan Johnson be the, uh, the only part-time player ever to have his number retired uh, by the Rays <laughs> because you know of what he's done for the club? But, I mean, to me, I just thought that was a, the, the human interest side of the story. And you know, Adam Sopsy had a, a terrific article uh, in the Indie Week about it. And we, yeah. I know Slow's got it linked on that whole – uh, one of the one of the, I think the twenty posts that we have up today uh, with content. <laughs> it's been I looked at it today. You know, this time last year we are up uh, by the end of tomorrow. You know, tomorrow is going to be an exciting day. By the end of tomorrow, we're probably going to be up twenty five percent on our website traffic between this time this year and last year. So I guess the wild card is more intriguing and more interesting to people <laughs> because when the Rays with the ALEs champs are like, eh, we'll come by and read D-Rays Bay. Now that the mm-hmm. wild card, uh, you know, every maybe 25% growth like that uh, from month mm-hmm. from that kind of month is crazy. And it looks like we're already at our second best month for the season. So, uh, you know, that's kind of crazy. But, you know, enough with the looking back. Now we got to look forward and we get, we get to uh, tango with the Texas Rangers once again. And, you know, just before we started recording, we learned that uh, our – Uber stud rookie Matt Moore is going to be starting game one. And uh, the reactions on Twitter from the national fans uh, and writers are like, that's awesome. And I was worried they were going, oh, my God, they're going to start a rookie. But, you know, w- when you come out and you strike out 11 Yankees in your first start, I think people yeah. are going to be more upset if he did not start game one. Uh, Kevin, your thoughts on this? Well, I think it's it's the right move because when you're looking at Texas, there's really not a good matchup there. That lineup is really, really good. So you might as well just take the guy with the best stuff and give him a chance because Matt Moore compared to Jeff Neiman and Wade Davis on a pure stuff standpoint isn't really that close. And I just think when when that's your choice, you have to – even though he's a rookie with one major league start, I think, you know, he's – for me, he was the clear choice to start game one. Mm -hmm. Bradley, your thoughts? You know, I'm actually working on a post I'll probably have up uh, tomorrow morning about Jeff Neiman, and I think there's reason to be concerned, uh, maybe more long-term, about what he's been going, what's been going on with him. Uh, if you look at the statistics a little more deeply, he's, since uh, August 5th, he has a, like, 4.8 fielding, in pers- uh, fielding independent <laughs> a FIP. I just, I can't hear, I can't. Just go with FIP. I'm still, I'm still flummoxed from last night. He's got a 480 FIP over the last several weeks uh, since August 5th. And if you actually look at the pitch FX data, he's sliding his release point a little bit away from a more vertical angle. And that gets down to the issue of him not throwing downward and getting down in the zone, using his height to his advantage. And that's kind of an issue. It's a mechanical issue. He's got to get ironed out. He doesn't have enough time. He's got 24 hours to, to iron that out. I just don't see that happening, especially given the, the terrible result he had last time he was out and given the amazing results Moore had last time he was out. Matt Moore struck out 11 Yankees in five innings. That had never been done before. And that's just fascinating because the Yankees franchise is one of the oldest out there. And I really think we are going to be in for an amazing first game against the uh, Texans. (laughs) They are Texans, whatever. The Washington Senators. I mean, to me, the 11 strikeout thing is obviously amazing. But what I was most impressed with, he did it on 84 pitches. Uh, And that's tough to do because, you know, that means pretty much getting a swing or miss or a called strike every time you throw one. You're not trying to, you know, all these, you know, as we joke around, the Scott Casimir start where they're getting 15 foul balls in an inning and you're having to stretch out your start. So, you know, 84 pitches to get 11 strikeouts. 
when you look at who's done that, Randy Johnson and Steven Strasburg, that's where the list ends. Uh, so that's what we're <laughs> talking about, which is what's really impressive. But I mean, to me, I'm glad they made this call. Uh, because again, I, I completely agree. I, I, I'm fine with how Wade Davis has looked for the most part. Uh, you know, since coming back off the disabled list, he's had one or two stinkers, but his delivery is much better. He, if you remember yeah. before that, he would kind of walk towards first base after his release, and, he, yeah. and, and now he's straight up over the over the pitching mound, which really helps his case. But I, I was not. I was hoping that when. Uh, Hickey was doing that radio interview today saying Jeff Neiman that he was either still hung over from last night or it was just a, <laughs> you know, just a, a very bad uh, you know, bluff poker bluff, because I don't think anybody was really taking that seriously. It's like the Rick Ankiel diversion from, I guess it was 2000 when Tony Lewis said, you know, Daryl Kyle is going to be the starter. So kind of keep the rookie away from the spotlight. But mm-hmm. even if more, yeah. you know, even if he's not as efficient as he was in the Yankees start, if you just get, like five innings of one or two runs, if that's what you're shooting for, I still think Moore has a better chance to do that than either Davis or Neiman. I agree. I mean, Moore's going to keep the ball on the ground a little more. Uh, this is not a Texas lineup. They don't care if you're facing a righty or a lefty. You look at their OPS splits. Uh, there's a two point. There's a two point difference. It's like 800 and 798. So it's a very potent offense. They don't care who they're facing. Obviously, when you have a lefty in there, uh, that makes Mike Napoli that more dangerous. And to me, that's mm-hmm. the key in this series because uh, I mean he's a major run producer and he doesn't even have to hit in the middle of the lineup. Mike Napoli could hit seventh for the Rangers. I mean, if you if you try to put a lineup together, he could legitimately hit seventh and be a factor. And we know what the Rays six through nine hitters do on a nightly basis and it, it, you add them all up together well. yeah you add them all up together and they don't equal what mike napoli's done so to me that's really the when i look at this series that's going to be the difference maker obviously yeah when the Rays score five they win uh and the rangers pitching cj wilson still worries me because every time he faces the Rays, it's a tough matchup uh, and he's mm-hmm. been very nasty against him but the rest of the pitchers it's up or down um but to me uh gonna, the offense is going to have to show up and i don't want to you know, the Rays to come back home Oh, two. Yeah, obviously, the split would be wonderful. Uh, and last year, they went out and won both games at Arlington. You know, you come back to, oh, I think the, I think the Tropicana field is going to have a tough time holding itself together uh, for game three. But we'll, uh, what are your thoughts on this? Could you say? Yeah, what are your thoughts on this one, Bradley? Well, you know, I, I'm game three or game one? Let's look at game one. I don't even want to okay. think about game three. Let's just look at what's going okay, yeah. Let's just focus <laughs> on game one. <laughs> Um, game one, I I honestly think Moore's is a great choice. He, if he goes out and only and only survives five or six innings and, and keeps it a low scoring game, you can still bring Neiman in. I think if you look at Neiman's career, he has done really well the first two times to the lineup and then really terrible the third time through. That to me screams middle reliever in the future, and I honestly think he could be a really good middle reliever if he can get his warm up down to a shorter warm up. But uh, honestly, that's that's the route I think they should take. It makes the most sense. Start more if you can't go the distance, which, I mean, I, I don't think many pitchers will go the distance against the Rangers' formidable lineup. Uh, then you just bring in Neiman, and Neiman will give you a couple of good innings, and you see where you are from there. Uh, one of the things that is kind of nice is that last time we faced these Rangers last year, we didn't have a guy like Sean Rodriguez who was killing lefties. And Sean Rodriguez right now has a weighted runs created plus of like 150 or something like that. He's been phenomenal against lefties this year. And Johnny Damon has actually been hitting lefties better than he's been hitting righties this year, even though he himself is a lefty. So there's definitely a lot of hope, a lot of things to hope for because the Rangers have two lefties in their lineup. They've got uh, Wilson and the young guy, Matthew Harrison, Harrison, right? 
They got yeah. Harry, Holland too. Oh yeah, and Holland is he? Isn't he a reliever this year, or is he? Starting? I don't know. They have, I don't know if they've set the rotation yet. I as think they said Ogando was in the bullpen, so Harrison would probably start. Yeah, it's got. I, I mean, <laughs> Ogando's run out of gas. Uh, the, the, he had a phenomenal first half, but we saw <laughs> when he was here. Uh, what the race chase him out in uh, less than three innings? Did he even yeah, make it, it was to a, the fourth inning? It was a quick outing. Yeah. So with that, I mean, my whole thing, uh, Kevin. Before we get over to you, but the, for this series, Desmond Jennings has to wake up. Uh, we're talking; he's now on an O for twenty three or O for twenty four slump, uh, and with a lot of strikeouts. I mean, we talked about we had you know a post up on the site where the high fastball was becoming a problem for him. Now that he's adjusting the high fastball, they're starting to work him away. You saw a lot of his at bats last night, low it away in the zone. He's having trouble staying away, uh, staying off the off speed, off the breaking stuff off the plate. Right now, he seems to be a guy that's just trying, you know, reaching at the plate, trying to do something. And you know, thankfully, his defense is not suffering at all. Uh, but offensively, he's really going through a rough patch right now. And this is the guy that you're projecting as your leadoff hitter for uh, game one uh, tonight. Well, the good news is that he's still been drawing, you know, some, a decent amount of walks. I just thought it was interesting when he was, you know, going ballistic a month ago that everyone was like, well, I didn't really expect this power from him. But then, you know, they really didn't look at the strikeouts either. He was still striking out about a time per game then. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's hit into some bad luck, obviously. But it's more than luck, like you said, because he's getting pitched a lot differently than he was when he came up. Mm-hmm. You know, people just aren't going inside on him where he can just turn on that and either you know pull it down the line or into a gap or something so he's gonna have to definitely make an adjustment and you know he's still gonna have his good defense and you uh brad you brought up sean rodriguez you also have to hope that kelly shopik who's become the starting catcher i think you know last year it was a lot of john jason in that series it seemed and this year it's gonna have to be shopik with all the lefties so you have you know hope that he can come through yeah i don't care shopik's been He's been uh, gangbusters this last month also. He he hit, what, like four homers and 20 plate appearances? It was ridiculous in this final month of the season. But he's been he's been clutch, and his uh, fielding has been much better as the season has gone on. His, uh, uh, he's really controlled the running game, I felt like. And uh, mm-hmm. just behind the plate, I mean, I guess after watching enough of John Jaso, you start to realize <laughs> what a difference there is between him and a more traditional catcher. Sure. I mean, we saw the interview that there was an interview that uh, Hickey gave with Fangraphs uh, a few days ago, and he even mm-hmm. hinted the fact that you know the, the pitchers prefer throwing to Shopik. Uh, and we've yeah. seen it, and you know, yeah, he's an adventure offensively, but frankly, I don't care. Uh, I, I love the way he blocks the pitches. I love how he, he's, he's a factor in the running game. Um, I am I don't have a problem with him starting every game possible and being subbed out as a, you know in later innings. Uh, it, yeah. you, know, you need to pinch it, do something like that, which they really haven't done much with him. But uh, to do that kind of thing, uh, because he's the he's the only guy that really trusts behind the plate. Jaso just has not been good this season. Lobatone has not been able to throw anybody out. Uh, despite I don't know what happened because in the minors is they, they raved about his defense, but yeah, you, you can see him block pitches well here at the major league level. But his his mm-hmm. footwork for the throwing game has just not been there. He also has about like two hits and about twenty five at bats or something, doesn't he? So he fits in right <laughs> in the bottom of the lineup. I mean, yeah, that, well, that's true. <laughs> that's where the rest of the bottom of the lineup is. But yeah, agreed. I mean, Shopik it seems like he's got six hits this month and all of them are home runs. But you know, you, you take it because. Uh, of what he's uh, helping out the pitching staff. And I think that's another reason why you can put a Matt Moore on the mound tomorrow night because you have a veteran catcher. I would really hate to see a Matt Moore and John Jaso battery tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. Especially with the way that Moore likes to bury his pitches. He throws a pretty good changeup. 
that you know he sometimes gets in the dirt, but it's really the you know, the curveball slash slider, whatever he's calling it at this point, that has that sharp break. You really want a guy who's going to be able to block that and you know not give the Rangers free bases. All right, so uh, last segment looking at uh, obviously the Rays have got to put a roster together tomorrow. I think they've got to announce it uh, early in the morning. I think by, maybe by ten o'clock because first pitch being at five oh seven tomorrow. Um, we know how Joe likes to use his bullpen. Let's assume um, let's assume that he's going to go with a, a seven man a six man. I say he'll go six uh, with this. Let's assume he goes with six man bullpen. Who do you pick? as your six relievers going into this uh, series. And, Kevin, we'll start with you. Well, I think in the D-Rays Bay thread, I, I had him with a seven-man bullpen. Um, off okay. the top of my head, you know, obviously Farnsworth, Peralta are locks. Uh, Brandon Gomes and Jake McGear are locks. They've been really good. Juan Cruz is a lock, so that's five right there. Mm-hmm. And then I think you probably do need Jeff Neiman just in case Matt Moore, you know, something you know bad happens, like a Rick Ankiel situation or – you know, it doesn't have to be that bad, but if you can't get out of the third inning, you need the guy to come in and, and eat up four or five innings. And, you know, beyond that, it's there's not a whole lot out there. Um, Cesar Ramos you might like if you want another lefty. Uh, as far as another righty goes, I'm not sure who you would really pick. So you might be right that they go with a little bit of a shorter bullpen. Okay. Um, uh, Bradley, what are your thoughts? Well, uh, definitely you can have – Farnsworth, Peralta, Gomes and McGee have earned it at this point. I mean, Gomes was just too much last night. That was that impressed me probably more than any of the other pitchers that were out there was the way Gomes just tore through that lineup. Granted, it was not the full Yankees lineup, I think, at that point, but but still he just he pitched like I don't know, like it was a triple A game. He was he was phenomenal. Um, so that's four right there. You got to have Cruz, definitely he I think he's earned it at this point. That's five. So you really got one more spot and it comes down to Ramos, Davis, or not David, <laughs> Ramos and Neiman. And I don't know, at, at this point, it's a tough call because you don't know what Neiman's going to be like exactly on the bullpen. He was good in his career so far. He's got like, I think, six appearances in relief in his career. And he was good in most of those. And he came out of the bullpen last playoffs, I think. I can't remember if that was a good showing or not. I, do you guys remember if he did well in the bullpen last year in the playoffs? I think he did really well. I remember – I want to say he pitched some relief down the stretch uh, one or two, but I remember him coming in relief because you know, mm-hmm. before the Farns were signing, some of we were ju- kind of joking around saying, just make Jeff Neiman closer because most of us didn't <laughs> want – most of us didn't want to see him back in the rotation. I mean I don't think any of us mm-hmm. – you look at the start of the season, we wanted Hellickson to be you – know, Hellickson up and he, I mean, he actually did stay up. But we were like, you know, just – we don't want Neiman in the ro- rotation. Make him a reliever. Uh, you know, save the money at it there. But uh, so mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm with you both. I mean obviously, uh, you know, Farns with Peralta, Golm's lock, I think – I, to me, part of the what's been great about September is how Jake McGee and Brandon Gomes have looked in relief. These are guys that were um, terribly inconsistent throughout the season, uh, and mostly McGee. For a guy with his stuff, he would come out throwing you know 95 sometimes, 91 others, uh, couldn't locate anything. But I think both of those guys have been as good as you know, any of the relievers that we've had doing that, that kind of middle relief role in, in recent years. McGee looks like you know he has an attitude now, and he's pitching with authority. And then, uh, you know, Gomes is lost part of the call. Uh, you know, Gomes is doing uh, his work, keeping the ball down. He had one, you know, the, the home run to uh, 
Jorge Posada. That's pretty much the only mistake he's had. So uh, we'll see where this goes. With I, I do think you need to have uh, Davis or Neiman uh, in the bullpen in case something happens. Uh, so we'll see where it goes. So, you know, Joe has like the seven man bullpen in the past. We've kind of railed on him because it limits uh, pinch running and, and pinch hitting experiences late in games because it only gives you a three man bench. But we'll see where it goes. With the position players, I'm not sure there's a whole lot of mystery there because, I mean, there's not like an you know. Alex Cobb was the only player on the DL, so that's really the only guy you can replace with a September call-up. And, you know, they've been running pretty much the same guys out there, so you sort of know who it's going to be. I just think it'll be interesting to see if they go with three catchers if they keep Lobatone on the roster because, you know, as you said, the catchers really haven't gotten it done offensively, so there might be a situation where you would need to pinch hit, and it's it's good if you have another catcher just as a backup, so... You know, that's really the interesting part to me about about the position players. That's what it really comes down. I don't remember what you know what was done in, in 2008 or 2010. You know, obviously the third catcher decided to quit on the team before the the series started <laughs> last year, so we never got to see that. Um, but, you know, that's where it comes to me. I would prefer a six man bullpen on the third catcher because in late inning situations, you know that that Texas bullpen is really good. So I would hate to have them. Uh, you know, have to have a John Jason up there against a Darren Oliver or a Shopik up there against, uh, you know, Felice in the ninth inning where he's not going to get around on that fastball. So we'll see where uh, those decisions go. Hey, I just dropped out for a second and I'm back. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Uh, we're talking about the still about the bullpen. And uh, okay. so my call kind of dropped. I think I'm on now. I'm now on Kevin's call. But Kevin's gone. I'm here. OK, good. All right. Oh. This will be fun editing. So <laughs> along that. So, I mean, so there we go. We'll see what the decisions are tomorrow morning uh, at 10-ish uh, or so. Um, and first pitch is at 5.07. So those of us, I'm working from home tomorrow, so I can you know, be available for first pitch to watch it. Uh, so we'll see where this goes tomorrow. Hopefully we get off the race and get off to a good start here. And, uh, you know, definitely want the split before uh, coming home for the home game on uh, October 3rd. Uh, which mm-hmm. I won't be at because I will be in uh, Detroit, Michigan. So I will be like you guys and watch it from afar. Any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Uh, when I'm on yeah. Twitter complaining tomorrow about everything, just remind me how lucky the Rays are to be here, and I'll calm down. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, I would definitely like to point out how uh, one of the things that we talk a lot about uh, – Dan Johnson being the most unlikely candidate to tie this game up. I would also like to to sort of note, and I know this may take away a bit of the majesty of the moment, but this is a first baseman who was hitting over a five or a, over a 450 weighted on base average in Durham in his final two months there. So he was definitely a hot hitter, but I mean, still, he'd been rotting on the bench basically for weeks since his call up. And he had the wrist injury it, too early. And yeah, he also was dealing with a wrist injury. I mean, so he was still a very unlikely candidate to do that. But at the same time, he was also very hot uh, in his most recent uh, consistent playing time. So uh, before we close up, though, Jason, I want to ask you what what is your prediction for this series? How does it go down in your mind? I was talking. I you know I have a a lot of friends that live in the Dallas area that are big Rangers fans, uh, and they have been for a very long time. They're like lifelong Texans. Uh, so I've already been talking with them because they were calling me last night because they knew I was on Central Time trying to talk this one over. I, I, I can't commit. I'm being such a fence sitter here either way because I know good pitching beats good hitting. Um, and I just think last year it was 
the Cliff Lee difference. I mean, Cliff Lee, it was he wasn't just good pitching; he was extraordinarily awesome, superific pitching, and nobody could touch him. And you know, it's just one of these. The Rays had had their their you know their success against them in season, but I remember doing uh, radio on you know ten forty or something. Somebody asked me, "Hey, the Rays have had success against Cliff Lee in the regular season." I'm like, "That doesn't mean squat in the postseason." I don't care what you've done; it's small samples. I sure enough, he went and just you know neutered them um, in two starts. Uh, so to me, I think that the, obviously the starting pitching is going to be key. They're going to have to work deep into the games uh, and the, uh, give the offense a chance to do what it needs to do. I have no doubt that the pitching will do what it needs to do because the pitching, they can pitch anywhere. I mean, I know Texas is not a, it's a hitter's ballpark, but I'll put our pitchers in any ballpark in, in the country and see what happens. Uh, I'm just worried about what the hitting is going to do, especially at home. I, I, we've seen throughout the season. That they've been able to do, really, you know, obviously earlier in the season they hit really well on the road. They struggled at home, but then you look at over the last 27 home games, the Rays are 19 and eight at home. So they're also finding success at Tropicana Field finally. Because well, remember this team was below 500 on the on at home just uh, in the first half of the season. Um, but mm-hmm. you, you got to you got to get a split there. I really don't want to make a second trip back to Texas. I would like to get a split, <laughs> come home and take care of business. Texas is a different team when they're not at the Rangers ballpark. They're, they're mm-hmm. still a talented team, but their numbers aren't as good away from home. Get a split, come home, let our pitchers pitch where they're most comfortable. And I think the Rays can take it in four, but it wouldn't surprise me if it, we went just the other way, just like it was last year. Hmm. I think I'm definitely leaning that way. I would say uh, the Rays will probably end up losing uh, tomorrow night, Friday night. The, you know, Matt Moore probably will pitch well, but I can see us losing 2-1 in a game like that. But I really feel like we can, the Rays can win this in four games. And I'll, I'll put my money on it right now. I know I won't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then I have to go the other way. I mean, I just think Texas has the advantage on the offensive side. And we didn't really talk about their bullpen, but their bullpen is insane. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I just don't see the Rays starting pitching advantage really being enough to overcome that. Fair enough. I'm glad one of us went the other way. I didn't want to feel, think we're going to be in like three homers who have no idea what the competition is. I mean, this, I mean, honestly, Texas scares the crap out of me because it's the same mm-hmm. team as last year. I mean, Hamilton's yeah. not having the insane year. Cruz has had trouble staying healthy, but you guys know how much of a, uh, a bromance I have with Adrian Beltre. And the guy yeah. is just—he was the September Player of the Month in the American League. The guy is red hot. He's a, a great glove, and you got Mike Napoli. So this is—it's a better offensive team. The question is, is the better offense enough to make up for what's, what is less of a pitching staff um, with that team this year? But I don't want it to be all bad news. I do want to end this on one good news. While we're doing this, I got an IM from Mr. Ransel who said, RJ and I are talking. We're going to scrap the t- the process report comeback, and we're going to come back to the DRB for the weekend, for the postseason. So look for more RJ and Tommy content oh, on baby. D-Rays Bay for the <laughs> postseason. A it's a homecoming, baby. So maybe if they enjoy this postseason, it goes deep into the postseason. Maybe one or two of them will stick around after it's over uh, because of the bug back. But it looks like the old crew is getting back together um, for at least here for the ALDS. So start looking for something as soon as tomorrow morning, as Ransel said, he's got something in the hopper uh, waiting to be scheduled. So uh, that's some really good news because obviously, uh, you know, Love to read these guys, what these guys write, tweet, uh, and all. And it's nice to have them back in the fold because the more stuff they publish, the better it is for all of us. Mm-hmm, definitely. All right. Well, guys, thanks for coming on. We get well again. We'll uh, 
find some time to talk about what happens after game one and before game two on Saturday, even if it's only 10 or 15 minutes to uh, hopefully talk about a Rays win. But we'll do that, and we'll get it up. And uh, please tune in and uh, talk to you next time. Happy Matt Memorial Day, everybody. Go Rays. The Matador.